Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with James Harkin, Andy Murray, and Anna Chizinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Chizinski. My fact is that only 28% of people know when they're being flirted with. I never know. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Do you well, think you you think people are flirting or they aren't with you? Aren't. They aren't. Yeah, yeah. so this is the interesting thing. People never assume... So they've done this study recently which um, looked at 52 heterosexual women, 52 heterosexual men, and they pe- put them in pairs together and made them have a conversation and then afterwards they asked them if they'd flirted with the other person and then they asked them if they thought the other person had been flirting with them. And, you know, lots of people flirted and only 28% of people realised they were doing it. And in women, it was 18%. So wow. was, that, was that who knew that they were flirting with someone else or that someone else was flirting with them? No, every, when, when people <laughs> flirted with other people, they were aware of it. <laughs> well, sometimes they're not, I think. Sometimes you accidentally flirt. Yes, sometimes people are just so flirtatious. <laughs> I get accused of that, of flirting when I'm not. Yeah. James always says. <laughs> I do say that to you a lot. And by the way, get your hand off my leg. <laughs> oh, this is an interesting thing about flirting. So men are perceived as being better at flirting. When these are some of the behaviors that they engage in when women think, oh, he's flirting and he's good at it. So for a start, actually looking at the person that you want to flirt with, that is a a solid gold winner. That's really good. Also positioning your body that it takes up more space and um, doing what's called non-reciprocated touching to surrounding men. So this includes playfully shoving, touching or elbowing the ribs of other men around you. Supposedly helps you flirt with a woman that you're interested in on the other side of a bar or something. Really? Yeah. You probably should know the person when you're shoving them, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What happens is there's a massive bar fight going on at the other side of the bar and they go, wow, stop flirting with me, guys. (laughs) Well, here's the last thing that this study identified as supposedly a really good sign is the men who are good at it change their location in the bar more frequently. <laughs> Which I find, oh, where's he gone? So is that just literally playing hard to get? I suppose so. You try to walk over to him yeah. and he's suddenly in a different place. Playing hard to find, is technically known as. <laughs> yeah. um, you know how you'd think you're not flirting and you are, Dan? Yeah. Some people think that they're flirting when they're not. What? This right. is called... Um, signal amplification bias and it's where you think that your gestures are making it really clear that you're doing some pretty heavy duty flirting but obviously you're um the other person has no idea so it's like when i'm in a bar and i'm running around into lots of different (laughs) positions (laughs) (laughs) the other person just hasn't noticed punching random men in the (laughs) face um yeah well i mean that's why the study has ended up showing that people don't know if they're being flirted with because people don't flirt properly because the because the whole it's kind of self-defeating flirting because the whole point of it really is to be subtle isn't it Mm. point of flirting is to kind of conceal and protect conceal what you're trying to do and protect yourself because you don't just walk up to someone and go i fancy you do you want to have sex so evolutionarily the idea i think is that it could be socially costly to kind of just go up to someone and say you want to have sex with them because if they say no then you could get excluded from the group or whatever yeah and it seems to be like a uniquely human thing wow other animals don't seem to do it really Uh, but i read one article about the idea that other animals don't really flirt and it said um if other animals were to flirt would we even be able to detect it 
Yeah, well, we, we can't could, detect yeah. when we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, is this mouse flirting? I mean, <laughs> focus on that woman over there. <laughs> it's running I, around all over the floor, so it looks like it's flirting. <laughs> but I, there was a Natural History Museum uh, exhibition that went on where their whole premise was that animals do flirt. And obviously they must have mm. just been putting a nice little spin on it. But there are examples of sort of romantic gestures it seems. The idea with flirting is it's something which you wouldn't really be able to tell unless you can just about kind of pick up on it. Oh, I disagree. I think flirting can be absolutely outright. No, it is. It's, it's a defence mechanism rather than saying, because animals just go up to each other and say, let's sleep together. That's no. what all of their flirting look, this, is. Look, the Amazonian river dolphin, it brings a bouquet of water weeds <laughs> Yeah, the that's not subtle. If that's someone brought flirting. you a bouquet of water weeds, that's, you know you what can, they wanted. Okay, okay. Uh, the, how about there's a haddock that hums. <laughs> Again, that's not really flirting. Well, if you're going over, going... Yeah, I think that could be... If she says... Were you just... No, I was just humming. I was just humming. humming. (laughs) It's just a subtle... That's a subtle signal. I'm with you, Dan. Flirting is quite a good way of trying to suss out whether someone's going to be worthwhile without... Like in actually inviting them to jump into bed with you right. because you might decide halfway through the flirting encounter that actually no this guy's not right. Not sure how this fits with your stats, um, but men uh, overperceive flirting and women underperceive flirting, and the reason is um, because men if they overperceive and they they don't get it right then they just move on to the next yeah. woman it doesn't really matter. Whereas if women um, overperceive then they might um, have sex with an undesirable man and end up with weedy children and Burdened. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's very plausible. And that's definitely what the study showed. 16% of women recognised when people were flirting, but way more men did. Right. They, so that you, because it is quite costly for humans if you sleep with the wrong person who turns out to be a bit of a weed and doesn't yeah. give you good offspring because that's like a nine month gestation period. And then you've got to raise this kid who's weedy and shit like the dad. <laughs> so they still under underestimated it. But Right. The word flirting, <laughs> uh, the word flirting used to actually mean hitting somebody. Did it? Yeah. It also um, meant to turn up one's nose or sneer at. Wow. Really. That's the verb anyway. It really, it's really changed. Yeah. 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 But uh, since the fifth, I think in the 1560s, Samuel Johnson described the noun flirt as uh, it's always a female and it's a pert young hussy. I also like there were alternatives to flirting, uh, which were when it came to mean being, uh, it meant being nimble often. And I think that came to be nimble conversationally. Uh-huh. And you could also say someone was a flirty gig or a flirt gillian. Which I quite like to mean an unconstant woman. Wow. Ooh, Bit of a good. flirty gig. Um, this is weird. Uh, scientists found that men find happiness very attractive in a woman, but women find it one of the less attractive things in a man. What, happiness? Yeah, apparently. And shame, sort of doing what's called shameful displays or sh- displays of shame, was more attractive to women than happiness. What's which, a shameful display? <laughs> oh, I'm sounds... so embarrassed. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, okay. Right. You know, which explains Hugh Grant in a way. It's not dropping your trousers and going... <laughs> no, that's a penis. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I like this. Uh, there was, I think this is in Scientific American, saying researchers split types of touching into three categories. So there's merely friendly... There's plausible deniability, <laughs> which is what we were talking about. Like if someone's like, are you flirting with me? You can go, no, obviously not. Um, and then there's going nuclear. And plausible deniability includes an arm touch or a shoulder or waist touch. What's, go- what's a going nuclear kind of flirt? Face touch. Which is, would nuclear. be a bit weird, wouldn't it? If you were just in a pub with someone and they leaned over and touched you on the face. Yeah. <laughs> Mid-chat, though, it's not weird. 
Dan, if you ever do that to me, (laughs) (laughs) you're going to be in serious trouble. (laughs) If you had like a thing on your head, I'd be like, oh, you got a thing on your head. You Um, can't just touch people's faces mid-conversation. I'm I'm constantly touching faces. (laughs) You can't do that. I don't even ask. I go right in. I don't. Why? Because it's a very personal bit of the body. They've got a thing on their face. What what's this thing you keep going on about? I don't know. Yeah, if they've got a thing on their face, I think that's okay. No, I'm I'm not leaving this until we've ascertained what the thing is. Well, it might be like um, uh, sometimes people get glitter on their face or a bit of um, fluff. Why do I get the feeling, Dan, that you go around with a bit of glitter in your pocket to put on people's faces? I don't think it's weird to touch a face. I'm just putting that there. I'd touch a bus driver's face. I would touch... <laughs> That's why they've had to put the screens in these days. <laughs> okay, time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that ancient Sumerian beer was as thick as porridge and was drunk through a straw. That's so good. That is good. Although if it's as thick as porridge, what kind of a you know heavy duty straw is it? Like a McDonald's milkshake? <laughs> yeah, it has to be right. Um, the oldest uh, straw that they've ever found was Sumerian. Uh, it was found in a tomb dated three thousand BCE, and it was a gold tube inlaid with lapis lazuli. Gold. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the thing is, this um, beer was it was kind of fermented bread, so it's a bit like kvass. Uh, that they have in Russia and it was really really thick but you wanted to drink mostly the liquid bit and so you had the straw to stop the bread from kind of going into your mouth so it's so you just got the liquid bit and they reckon that that's why the straw was invented in general probably for drinking beer that's cool and I think wasn't that first one it was two men sharing a drink wasn't it in the Sumerian tomb which is nice was it Ah. you can't share a straw though I think they had a straw each. Okay, cool. And, well, it wasn't because they found the oldest depiction of a straw and they also found the oldest straw, right. didn't they? And the depiction had a picture of two men sharing a beer. Um, yeah, so this is probably not the first beer in the world that we know of because that was probably ancient Chinese. Mm. Uh, that was called Kui. Uh, but this is in the, in the let's say, near west. Um, mm. And it was Sumerian and they had um, a few different words for beer. It was Sikaru, Dida, or a beer. <laughs> no way! What? Wow. E-B-I-R was one of the names for beer. No. Do you fancy a beer? <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool, isn't it? That also meant beer mug. And um, they thought that beer was a, a gift from the gods to promote human happiness and well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first brewers were, um, they were priestesses. So the ancient Egyptians used to say to each other, uh, to greet each other day to day, they'd say bread and beer. And that basically meant everything that is, is good in life. Oh, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, we should yeah, start doing that good. again. Bread and beer. Isn't there quite a long-running debate? I mean, I think there is quite a long-running debate about whether bread came first or beer came first. And a lot of archaeologists think that we have evidence to suggest that beer was brewed before bread was made and one one followed on from the other. It actually, didn't... the oldest bread maker was actually found uh, in a tomb which contained the <laughs> oldest depiction of a bread maker. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are loads of guys who try and recreate very ancient beers. Oh, yeah. And they have they find, you know, the right sort of chemicals in tombs and things like that, and they, they speculate that this might have been beer or that this contained the sort of flavourings that were added to beer that they know around the area. So they try and remake all these things. They even do things like killing goats to make fresh wineskins yeah, wow. at the time. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, not for the goat. Not for the goat, no. 
But they had things like, uh, genuinely, beer used to have things in it like olive oil or cheese or carrot or hemp. All kinds of stuff would be added to it. I don't mm-hmm. want to go to a party that these guys are throwing, actually, <laughs> if I'm going to get a cheesy olive oil beer. There is one guy in Oregon who's a brewer, and he made beer with yeast harvested from his own beard. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Yum. How did that taste? Is that the most, well, it's just it's just yeast, you know. Most yeast in the rest of the world is found on animals and insects and rotting fruit, so it's wow. not necessarily any grosser, even though it seems like it is. Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> um, there was some 170-year-old beer found in a shipwreck uh, just off the coast of Finland, either this year or last year, wasn't there? And um, the divers who went down and they uncovered it, I think there were six bottles of beer and they decided to taste it and uh, it was pretty disgusting, I think. <laughs> it's always disgusting whenever they do this <laughs> I never learn we found some 5,000 year old honey should we give it a oh it's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> you say that but it could have been disgusting in the first place indeed yeah. and, and it probably true. was really well. they did when they analysed it they said that um, it would have had hints of soured milk and burnt rubber <laughs> with some rose like notes and a goatee taste <laughs> a goatee like, as in a beard goatee <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm one of those people that I love a novelty beer. I love the variety of new beers that we have. I don't know if I go to an off license and I see, you know, that Iron Maiden has a as a beer or ACDC, I'm going to buy that one. Did you know that Hanson the band released a beer? <laughs> no. They was it called Mmm Hops? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, it was. How good was that? Yeah. I was going to say they should have done a soft drink called Mmm Pop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could see they've missed. There's a whole range of drinks that they could have done. Yeah. Or a range of cleaning items called Mmm Mops. <laughs> <laughs> this could go on for a while. Yep. Yep. So, um, also uh, one that I'd love to get my hands on because it's a bit of a, a bit of a historical, or historically, it will be a bit of a famous beer. Um, do you know that David Cameron gave the Coalition Cabinet a beer? Wait, really? he bought them around? Yeah. No, no. He they just produced. one beer between them. That's austerity. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, after it's, after the final session of the Coalition Cabinet, um, they got goodie bags as they left, and inside one of the goodie bags was a coalition beer, which was called Co-Ale-ition beer. (laughs) And it had on it, on the back, it said, an unconventional pairing. This experimental beer has astonished doubters and exceeded expectations. Time for some creative thinking with this carefully crafted beer. Hints of oak and zesty lemon deliver a truly distinctive, refreshing flavor that lasts the distance. Makes you feel sick after a very short time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was trying to look for which country drinks most beer. I was just having a few little People looks. say it's Czech Republic. Yep, that's true. So do you know, so as I was looking into this, I, I also found out what country drinks most wine. It's the Vatican. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Uh-huh. Vatican, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they are really the biggest consumers of Jesus's blood. <laughs> oh, that's the, you're also that. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. But they also, the Vatican have their own Vatican beer. They have a brewery oh. that's um, not too far away from them. Uh, and they have they bring in cases and they love beer. Apparently, and it's only slightly a rumor, but when the uh, when they were deciding on the last pope, there was enough bottles for each of the people who were uh, deciding. What would you call them? Are they cardinals who do it? The electors. Special? Yeah, the yeah, electors. Yeah. Basically, yeah. there was enough beer for one of them each. The a electors. Was- Oh. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> I just wanted to kill that because I felt really bad for Dan there and this is why puns ruin all conversations yeah. because just for anyone listening James and Andy were looking into the sky not listening to a word that Dan was saying desperately grappling for some pathetic pun relating to popes and beer and I think it's really inconsiderate to the speaker <laughs> Andy's still doing it <laughs> huh? Ha, 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 ha,
Today, time for fact number three, and that is Andrew Hunter Murray. My fact is that baby turtles coordinate when they're going to hatch from within their eggshells. That is, is incredible. It's so amazing. How so They talk to each other. Yeah. Scientists listen to the eggs to see if they made any noise from within the, the shells. And they do. And they actually found more than 300 different noises coming from them. And I don't know if all of those mean anything or have particular meanings. But there was one sound which came only from nests which had only eggs in. So there were some which had only eggs and there were some which had a mixture of eggs and already hatched uh, babies. And they believe that the babies were communicating so that they could coordinate when they all hatched together. Because but, yeah. when they hatch, it, there's a great advantage to having strength in numbers because the journey from where, the point where they hatch to the sea is so dangerous and there are so many predators who just wait, hang around waiting. As the article I read put it, while some babies will be picked off by predators, a bird can only eat so many sea turtles at a time. <laughs> ah. How do they coordinate the hatching? Is there, is there a leader? Is there one leading turtle? Just going, all right, guys, come on, we can do this. <laughs> Leonardo. Yeah, <laughs> I saw a really good um, I can't remember where this was but uh, four really good pie charts which was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles proportion that they're famous for being artists compared to proportion that they're famous oh, for being yeah. turtles wow. this is quite cool yeah. with Donatello obviously a tiny sliver of famous artists <laughs> <laughs> a huge pie so on uh, communicating with things before they hatch uh, this is so cool birds do the same thing Wow. And some birds called superb fairy wrens, which I, we must have mentioned before. We have, yeah. The mothers sing to the eggs to teach them a password, which they have to use when they hatch if they want food. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it's because loads of cuckoos lay their eggs in superb fairy wren nests. And it's What's the password? <laughs> Cuckoo. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's normally a single unique note that they that the chicks know. And it, what it means is that the cuckoos are laid later on and they hatch earlier as well. So they only get about two days to learn the password, which is normally not enough for them to actually process it and learn it. And wren embryos have about five days. So if the cuckoo hatches and pushes out the other eggs, the parents can test it with the password. Cuckoo doesn't know the password and the parents can just abandon it and fly off and make a new nest and a new life. Um, Just one more quite cool thing about eggs that I like. Uh, So uh, sand goby fish, uh, which you'd recognize that you see them in Europe. Um, It's the responsibility of the male goby fish to guard the eggs when they've been laid by the female. But he gets really impatient because he wants to have sex with as many females as he can and like spread his seed as often as he can. So the female goby fish is like, I've laid the eggs now. Can you guard these until they hatch? And he knows that the bigger the egg is, the longer it takes to hatch. So he just eats all the big ones. Oh, Because wow. he can't, can't be bothered to wait for them. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? And usually, like, big, you know, the bigger ones are going to be the stronger, healthier offspring. Yeah. yeah. But he monges them right up. There's an octopus who's re- that's recently been discovered um, gestating its egg or protecting its egg for um, four and a half years. Yeah, and wow. supposedly they get so hungry that they nearly starve and they have to eat their own arms to survive while they're protecting their offspring from predators. Wow. Yeah, and for often they, they're so knackered at the end of this that when their offspring have eventually gone, swum away independently, they're, just, they're pretty easy prey. And and uh, yeah, I think they predators. waste away, essentially, yeah. don't they, and die. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, this is really off topic, but um, I read the other day that there is some um, jellyfish, and if they lose an arm then it's like some animals can grow arms back, but they can't do that. But what they can do is shuffle around all the other arms so that they're now symmetrical again so that they can go up, like, swim properly. What, and not look stupid? (laughs) That is amazing. I know. Um, 
So can I just say quickly my favorite discovery about turtles this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, scientists haven't yet properly decided on whether or not turtles have a penis <laughs> or a phallus. What? It's the same thing. No, apparently it's not because penis uh, should be restricted to mammals. Yet, they want to call it a penis. I read this in an article called Terrifying Sex Organs of Male Turtles. uh, (laughs) I think I've seen the film of that. (laughs) Um, To be honest, I asked Anna to read this article because I couldn't understand all the big words. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know the answer to that. Uh, No one could. It's not a... It's it's very... It's full of like really zoological words. That's a trick though because the title sounds really kind of accessible. It's an incredibly deceptive title. Yeah. this it's in Scientific is... American. This is an article from. So if anyone wants to read it and explain it to me, um... <laughs> it's fine. It's just very dense about how like their organs work. Um, there are a couple of good things in that article, though. Um, so I like the fact that they they're referred to as the intermittent organ when they're having this debate as to whether it's the phallus or the penis. It's called the intermittent organ, as in the organ that sends something in, um, mm. in Latin, uh, which is quite cool. The other thing that I think there was a spin-off article from this that it uncovered is if you Google a cross-section of a turtle penis, it looks exactly like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle head. (laughs) Doing it now. Doing it now. (laughs) With the bandana and everything. It's got the bandana. Oh my God, Donatello. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Oh, it does. Oh my God, with the bandana. (laughs) We'll have to put this up on the Twitter feed. Definitely. I'm not putting it up on mine. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be on QI podcast, I guess. Yeah, QI podcast. Um, So we were saying before about how turtles kind of um, hatch and all go down to the sea at the same time. Well, one problem that they have in Florida is people are accidentally drowning baby tortoises um, because gopher tortoises nest in sand dunes near to the sea. And people keep finding these little tortoises and think they're turtles and so put them back in the sea oh my and they god. just drown because oh. they can't swim oh, oh my god that's so frustrating that's horrible. in the town of hilton head island i'm not quite sure where this is i think it's in america somewhere um there was a man who was proposing to his um, future wife and lit a load of candles uh, on the edge of the beach uh, and she said yes and they retired to the room uh, and they killed 60 baby sea turtles oh my god oh. Why? Because they were attracted to the light. They were disorientated by the light uh, and some tracks repeatedly encircled the lanterns uh, where the hatchlings eventually succumbed to ghost crabs. Oh my God. What are they, moths? (laughs) What's this light thing? I've never heard this before. Any other animal getting attracted to light? Well, the thing is, there was one species of sea turtle who hatched during the day and that's really problematic, obviously, because... They just go straight up to the sun. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, is that a bad omen? Like, do you think you'd cancel the cancel the wedding the next day when you emerge from your tent and see just dozens of tortoise carcasses? I know. I don't normally believe in omens or anything like that, but that is a bad sign. <laughs> Sorry, darling. I know we have been yeah. dating for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> we can finally have said yes, but there's a couple of dead turtles. Yeah, so, I wouldn't be willing to take the risk. Just saying. Um, another. Quite funny turtle story. Um, is oh god, how many died in this one? <laughs> <laughs> They're already really endangered, all seven species of sea turtle. And here we are, casually making light of the deaths of more. Well, include me out. Go on, okay. We've included Andy out, but for everyone else, 
so there's uh, in somewhere in China, I can't remember where, there was a drunk guy known only as Wang, the article says. So uh-huh. I don't think he wanted to identify himself in full. Um, he got really drunk, ran into the seafood section of a restaurant, dunked his head in the fish tank and tried to kiss a turtle, at which point <laughs> <laughs> the turtle clamped onto his mouth and wouldn't let go. <laughs> Uh, he had to go to hospital, I think. Oh, no, he had to be freed by having the turtle decapitated. What? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. That was going so well. <laughs> okay, time to move on to our final fact of the show, and that's my fact. My fact this week is that the playwright Henrik Ibsen's last words were to his nurse. She said to him that she thought he seemed to be looking better, and he replied, on the contrary, and died. <laughs> uh, it's, it turns out that that's not as exciting as I want it to be in that he, uh, he actually died the next day but those were the last words he said so I think he, yeah. f- he must have lapsed into a coma or um, oh he thought they were pretty good words just gonna, gonna I'm gonna sit up. on those yeah <laughs> I think I should collect a series of last words just so that you know I've got 20 or 30 things to say on my deathbed and if I say one I can just cross it off the list and then you know I'll go on with the next one. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If everything you ever say is extremely pithy and witty, then it doesn't matter when you die. Okay, but we're dealing with the real world here, and I have to <laughs> make allowances for that. His last words were a terrible story about dead turtles. <laughs> His last words were a long pause where he was trying to come up with a pun relating the Pope to beer in some way. <laughs> I think if you constantly pepper your conversations with desperate attempts at last words, your death might come sooner than you expect. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about last words, as you when you suddenly put a sort of researcher's eye onto it, you realise that no one ever said any of the things that everyone <laughs> thinks they said on their deathbed. No. Oscar Wilde, either this wallpaper goes or I do. Uh, he's, and the actual thing he said was, this wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. Either it goes or I do. Not the last thing he said. Not even close. I mean, that was, that was, I think, in the days preceding his death. Um, Dylan Thomas was said to have said, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I believe that's the record. And that's where his, those were his last words. It's such a good last line. It's an amazing last line. Yeah. It's, I think, wasn't that, there's some controversy now, because Dylan Thomas was often assumed to have died of alcohol poisoning, and uh, his family and other people say quite strongly that he didn't, he just died of pneumonia, and his agent spread about this kind of falsehood, because his agent was actually a bit lax in looking after Dylan Thomas um, in the days preceding his death, so wanted to make it seem like he was a hopeless drunkard. His agent should have made it. What a magnificent agent I've got, <laughs> I've always thought that. <laughs> And now that he's freed up to work with other people, you should all apply. (laughs) I think probably my favourite last words, and again, who knows if these were genuinely said, but it was by a French poet uh, slash diplomat, died in 1955, called Paul Claudel. And his last words were, Doctor, do you think it was the sausage? (laughs) (laughs) I looked up Paul Claudel just to see who he was. Here's the opening line from his obituary. Paul Cladell was a misogynist and anti-Semite and an Islamophobe. <laughs> just, that's the Brilliant. opening sentence. <laughs> opening sentence of what? Of his obituary. It wasn't written by his agent, was it? No, exactly. <laughs> his agent's going, can you put and a poet in there? <laughs> <laughs> 
one time when we do know people's last words and when it's going to be something quite pithy is when people know they're going to die. Uh, so people on death row. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so there's a few famous ones of that. There was a murderer called James French. Uh, when he was on the electric chair, he shouted, hey, fellas, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper, French fries? It's uh, a cracking uh, one. Yeah. And wow. another one who did pretty much the same joke was called George Apple. And when he was being executed, he said, well, gentlemen, you are about to see a baked apple. That is sort of oh. copying Well, James I don't know French. who came first, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was in the line behind them. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Write that one doing? down. That's, this is what happened if Andy heard some last lines that he was up next. <laughs> well, my name isn't at all food related, so I'd be uh, third in line going, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> Murray Mint. <laughs> Murray Mint does if, work. Well, no, only if you if were the... being sliced to pieces. <laughs> this is going to sound odd, but can I request the guillotine? <laughs> <laughs> It's just for a pun thing. (laughs) I just have one more last words thing, which actually is just, I just wanted to mention Nero's last words only because I read something else about Nero this week, which I loved and didn't know. So uh, Nero quite famously was supposed to have said, I can't remember who claimed it, uh, but someone who was with him when he died said that Nero's last words were, what an artist the world is losing in me. Mm. Um, But something else, oh, it's Cassius Dio who was with him when he died. Um, But another thing I learned about Nero this week was he was kind of a like, I, he, some people say he was the world's, fir- the world's first known S&M um, propagator mm-hmm. and he liked to have himself dressed up in animal skins like exotic animal furs and he'd have people lock him in an enclosure in a cage and then he'd like get himself all worked up and then he liked to be released from this enclosure and he'd gallop around like a wild beast and there'd be a bunch of men hung up in stocks around him and he'd attack their genitals and bite them off for fun oh wow yeah still not as weird as someone touching your face though is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay that's it that's all of our facts thanks so much for listening if you want to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast we can be found on twitter i'm on at schreiberland james at egg shaped andy at andrew hunter m Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, and you can also get us on at QI Podcast. You can also go to no such thing as a fish.com where we've got all of our previous episodes. We've also got a link to all the live shows that we're going to be doing. So go there, check it out. We'll be back again next week with another episode. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.